So, I want to get into the Gospel of Thomas today. And there's much to say. We sort of started weeks and weeks ago and then took a long detour into Martian and Valentinus and um, the Gospel of Truth or Valentinian Meditation on the Gospel, all of which I think was very interesting. Uh, today I want to just jump in to the Gospel of Thomas and I'll send some of the relevant links first here. First one is uh, gnosis.org, Nagham, meaning Nag Hammadi Library, the um, Coptic um, version, which is the main version of the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, then, as a subsidiary, which we'll get into just a little, and in fact I'll probably do it less than I had thought, is the Oxyrhynchus Greek language version of some portions of the Gospel of Thomas, not all of it, but only a dozen or so uh, sayings um, from, I think, a hundred and there's 144. Let me just see here. The, no, 114. And uh, that's interesting. Uh, and then we'll look at some other versions and we'll jump in. Unfortunately, everybody's got a bias. Every translator <laughs> has their own thing. Uh, in some cases, they um, have a profound commitment to accuracy in some aspects of their translation, while their commitment to accuracy in other aspects of the translation are compromised, I would say, by their own ideology. Like, there's a version, uh, the two versions here, there's... Um, Gospel of Thomas Meyer, which is um, from a man named Marvin Meyer, and he's Jewish, obviously, and in some ways um, he's com he, he, there's a certain accuracy where he's using the term Yeshua instead of Jesus, because that was the Hebrew, and yet in other cases uh, we may find something that's a little questionable. Uh, that may be associated with, you know, the politics of Judaism versus Christianity. Then we have the Gospel of Thomas translation by um, Thomas O. Lambden, who used the term, the Greek word, Jesus, even though it's a Coptic version. <laughs> uh, and maybe he's Christian, and so he's got his own um, biases. So everybody's got their bias. And uh, the, they may be biased in one aspect. Uh, they're bi everyone's biased in all different ways. And they would lead, to, <laughs> in my view, to some varying degree of accuracy versus uh, filtering uh, in the translation of any single fragment. <laughs> so how any particular word from the original uh, Coptic or Greek, Coptic meaning Nag Hammadi and Greek Oxyrhynchus, 
any particular original word in either language, in either set of fragments, um, would be translated, in my subjective opinion, accurately or with filter by any translator um, in each fragment. <laughs> so this word might be translated well, um, while the other word, in my opinion, would be translated with a certain filter of the translator's bias, um, and that, that kind of distinction can be found in any one fragment. And it really does get actually kind of serious because there are certain phrases that don't, that don't sound right. And is it because there's some esoteric truth there that's hard to understand? Is it because of a poor translation? Is it because um, the original teaching had some service to self tendency? <laughs> Who knows, right? Is it is is the problem with uh, a poor translation or a questionable translation uh, that the translator chose because of their own biases, uh, ideological biases, or being Christian or 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 Jewish or uh, you know whatever their particular religious perspective or or theological views are? Is it that the original text? had some negative influence in it? Uh, is it that the original text um, just had a certain limited view? And of course, who can say that our view is less limited? So it's all the, you know, the thicket of views, as Gautama would say. But um, <laughs> we can get into that. And um, starting on the first page, Gospel of Thomas Collection, Introduction, I know I've covered this before, but let's review. Introduction, and I'll just read this a bit. There's a general consensus among scholars that the Gospel of Thomas, discovered over half a century ago in the Egyptian desert, that's Nagamati, dates to the very beginnings of the Christian era, and may well have taken first form before any of the four traditional canonical Gospels. So it might be from the earliest material. During the first few decades after its discovery, several voices representing established Orthodox biases argued that the Gospel of Thomas was a late 2nd or 3rd century Gnostic forgery. So they're already arguing. Scholars currently involved in Thomas studies now largely reject that view, though such arguments will still be heard from Orthodox apologists and are encountered in some of the earlier publications about Thomas, meaning the Gospel so, uh, some academics will say that it formed before the four canonical Gospels that were systematized at the Council of Nicaea uh, in the 4th century, or around that time, or in the 2nd century. You know, I guess it would be the 3rd and 4th century. Some say that this came from before, and then other fellows will say, no, it's a third, a late 2nd and 3rd century forgery. Those, those pesky Gnostics did it. They're always trying to get over on us, so they believe. So there was real hatred of Gnostics, you know. They really didn't want too much Gnosticism in their religion. The Orthodox, I mean, you know, just like the the Pharisees hated Yeshua, and um, the Sadducees or Sanhedrin folks were no, no much different. Uh, likewise, the Christian Orthodoxy, 
or what became the Christian orthodoxy, like rejecting Valentinus um, in, what, 2nd century, 1st century, against being a bishop of Rome. The Christian, early Christian not, uh, orthodoxy, whatever it was, which might have been not much different <laughs> than the Jewish orthodoxy, um, likewise hated the Gnostics, and likewise uh, didn't want the Gnosticism of Gospel of Thomas too much into their religion. And so people argue. Today, most students would agree that the Thomas Gospel has opened a new perspective on the first voice of the Christian tradition, uh, led to stark reappraisal of the forces and events forming, quote, orthodoxy during the second and third centuries. So that's when orthodoxy became systematized, second, third centuries before Nicaea in the fourth century. Uh awakening interest in a forgotten spiritual legacy of Christian culture. And uh, then we see many, many um, resources available. And the incipit, incipit means like incipient or beginning or prologue, was written here with one of the translations as, these are the hidden words that the living Jesus spoke and that Didymus, Judas, Thomas, Didymus means twin, twin Judas Thomas wrote down and he said whoever finds the meaning of these words will not taste death and other translations of the incipit such as Marvin Meyer these are the hidden sayings that the living Yeshua spoke and Yehuda Toma the twin recorded that's obviously from the Hebrew Yehuda Toma means Thomas yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Thomas, um, Judas Thomas. Now, why not Didymus, meaning twin? I don't know. So he actually, he wrote that. Uh, the living Yeshua spoke, and Yehuda Toma, the twin, recorded. Yehuda Toma, the twin, is Thomas. Is Thomas, uh, Didymus, Didymus, Judas Thomas. Judas, meaning Yehuda. And so it's not a J, it's a Y, because Hebrew didn't have a J. So it's Yehuda Toma, Thomas Judas, Judas Thomas, Didymus, meaning the twin. And uh, other translation, Lamden of the Incipit says, These are the secret sayings which the living Jesus spoke, and which Didymus, Judas Thomas, wrote down. So it doesn't mean, it's not such of a big deal. Uh, the basic point is that these are hidden sayings spoken by living Yeshua, living now, when they were take, written down, I guess so, living after resurrection, yeah, living in higher dimension, living in spirit, and not, not with not necessarily a physical form. So living Yeshua spoke these sayings which are hidden, and then uh, Yehuda Toma, Judas, Thomas, Thomas Yehuda, who's a twin, twin of Jesus, hmm? maybe, maybe some kind of uh, space-time correlate student of the time-space non-manifest uh, Yeshua, speaking from the astral or transmitting, who knows, and he said, or it is said, whoever finds the interpretation of these sayings or knows the meaning of the sayings doesn't taste death. And the Oxyrhynchus version says about the same thing. These are the secret sayings which the living Jesus spoke and which Didymus Judas Thomas wrote down. 
whoever finds the interpretation of the sayings, whoever finds the meaning, whoever knows what these sayings are, um, it won't experience death. So let's just jump right in. And I'm going to um, go um, between versions. <laughs> and um, it, you know you won't be able to follow because I'm just going to go jump, jump, jump between the three. Uh, the three being Oxyrhynchus and Marvin Meyer's more Hebrew, which in some cases is going to be actually more accurate here, even though the language was, uh, the Nagamadi is uh, Coptic, and the Lambdon. So Lambdon, Nagamadi, Coptic, Marvin Meyer, uh, perhaps Hebrew-influenced Nagamadi, Coptic, and then the Greek Oxyrhynchus which I believe was translated by Andrew Bernhard. So there are three translations, three guys, two versions, two of Nagamati, one from Oxyrhynchus. And we'll just go uh, one by one. And so uh, according to the numbering, you, we have the incipit and then 1 through 114. That's the Nag Hammadi uh, listing of fragments. Again, that's Coptic, found in Upper Egypt, you know, 70 years ago, or in the 40s, I believe. And that's the famous great find of the Gnostic Nag Hammadi library. In Gnostic you know, the, the window to Gnosticism uh, 2,000 years ago, 1,800 years ago. Uh, so the incipit is considered basically just that these are the hidden sayings, these are hidden sayings of living Yeshua, hidden sayings spoke by living Yeshua, uh, recorded by uh, Yehuda Toma or Judas Thomas the Twin. And then um, fragment one is that, and he said, whoever discovers what these sayings mean will not taste death. That's, that's actually Mar Meyer's version, which is kind of nice. So from the Meyer translation of Nagamati, fragment one, coming right after the incipit is, and he said, whoever discovers what these sayings mean will not taste death, freedom from death, harvestability, of obviously, if one <laughs> to to understand there is no death is a certain freedom from death. To be sufficient in love, wisdom, virtue, development, to so that one doesn't have to continue living on earth in future lives is also a freedom from death. So I'm going to actually, although uh, I'm wary of um, you know subtle Jewish hatred of Yeshua. Um, which has a bad history. I actually we're going to start with the Marvin or base from the Marvin Meyer translation, because it seems that he didn't add. He he was a little bit. It seems like he's careful not to add more words than are needed. So fragment two. So fragment one, and he said, "Whoever discovers what these sayings mean will not taste death." Fragment two. Um, working, starting from the mire, going to the Lambdon, then going to Oxyrhynchus. Fragment 2. Yeshua said, Seek, and do not stop seeking, 
until you find. When you find, you will be troubled. When you are troubled, you'll marvel and rule over all. And here's where you see how, um, you know, red light flashes, red flag rises. Uh, okay, well, seek and don't stop seeking till you find. Yes, that's the way of that. That's, you know, if you want to heal uh, something, you got to seek and keep trying until it's healed. If you want freedom, you got to seek and keep working until you're free. So the Lambden view or the Lambden translation, Jesus said, let him who seeks continue seeking until he finds. And then we have the controversial section, in my view. When he finds, he'll become troubled. That's pretty normal. It's called awakening and shattering armor and disillusionment. When he becomes troubled, he will be astonished and he will rule over the all. Now, is that a Orion uh, interject? Um, let's be the king of the world? Uh, not necessarily. Um, and so the, 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 the sequence is seeking until you find finding one becomes troubled uh, and that seems to be the word that they're all using troubled meaning uh, upset <laughs> at the finding then working with one's troubled troublement working with one's unwell <laughs> condition of mind upon finding which happens you know as we keep learning then there is a, a movement to marveling. Marvel. What does it mean to marvel? It means to be astonished. And um, that actually is how Lambden translated it. Uh, he'll be astonished. He'll marvel. Marvel is a kind of awe. Like, wow. Um, even though I'm unwell, look, look at reality, how great it is. And look at how much I've not seen and now I see a bit more of. Uh, the glory of God or creation or multidimensionality, cosmic law, dot, 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 reincarnation. These things really are quite amazing. Like Gautama, the fistful of, hand, fistful of leaves sutta. Um, what he speaks is like the leaves in his hand. What he knows is like the leaves on all the trees in the forest. Um, reality is pretty damn amazing. And if you see, again, like we said, uh, the movie Lucy, going to 100% activation of her brain from CBH4 or whatever that was she took uh, 100% omniscience and 100% omnipotence and 100% omnipresence it's pretty amazing actually that's not necessarily what he's finding here but it's the path of finding one is a bit agitated and upset by that but then there's an astonishment and an awe and a marveling and then this point of rule over the all. Uh, they all translated it as um, rule over the all. This is saying two, fragment two. Um, the, the word is rule. And uh, I don't think that we're really talking about self-controlling. We're really talking about sovereignty. Um, the Logos has sovereignty over the octave. Atman has sovereignty in six dimensions uh, with love <laughs> which means respecting free will or not infringing so I don't think that's a big problem but the rule over all is basically the achievement of such breadth of uh, awareness 
this is gnosis, right? We're talking about gnosis. We're talking about finding the kingdom of heaven within. We're talking about awakening um, levels of, of enlightenment. That ruling overall is really associated with knowing and um, capacity to intervene. But uh, to the extent that there's love, then um, there's respect for others' free, you know, others' self-determination. So I don't think this is an Orion document or fragment. Fragment three, or saying three, and starting with the Meyer. Yeshua said, If your leaders tell you, quote, Look, the kingdom is in heaven, then the birds of heaven will precede you. If they say to you, It's in the sea, then the fish will precede you. But the kingdom is inside you, and it is outside you. When you know yourselves, then you will be known. And you will understand that you are children of the living Father. But if you do not know yourselves, then you dwell in poverty, and you are poverty. Pretty hardcore. And so the Lambden translation of fragment 3, saying 3, is, Jesus said, If those who lead you say to you, quote, See, the kingdom is in the sky, then the birds of the sky will precede you. If they say to you, it's in the sea, then the fish will precede you. Rather, <clears throat> the kingdom is inside of you, and it is out of sight of you. When you come to know yourselves, then you will become known, and you will realize that it is you who are the sons of the living Father. But if you will not know yourselves, you dwell in poverty, and it is you who are that poverty. So they're not too different, those translations. And so, uh, the Oxyrhynchus, interestingly, instead of saying, uh, instead of translating um, the leaders tell you, the other leaders, other schools saying, the kingdom of heaven is um, in the sky, the kingdom of heaven is in the sea. Uh, I met a duped, a duped Mormon recently who said, you know, where, I asked him, where's God? And he pointed up. <laughs> That's the teachers they send. So, if if one is told the uh, kingdom of heaven is up, then the birds are ahead of you. The birds are already there. Hmm. If it's in the sea, well, I guess what, maybe <laughs> some Greek tradition talking about uh, Poseidon and the king of the sea or something, Neptune. Uh, then the fish are ahead of you meaning they're superior to you. Will precede you also means they're superior to you. But, in fact, indeed, the kingdom of heaven is inside and outside, not just outside over there in the sky or in the ocean, but inside and outside all. The kingdom of heaven is all, everywhere, inside, outside. And that, you know, is a part of um, Gnosis. So it's within you and outside you, um, and if you know that, just simply knowing that and knowing yourself, um, you, you will realize who you are. And so, this, um, when you know yourselves, so the point is, when you know that the kingdom is inside you and outside you, meaning everywhere is God's house. God's heaven house is everywhere. The kingdom, is, the kingdom of heaven is inside and outside. This is God's world. And Ra said, the physical and the metaphysical are inseparable. 
Yes, indeed, that's exactly the point. The physical and the metaphysical are inseparable, and the inside and the outside, what we call, what we perceive inside, which is body-mind, and outside, which is environment and others and space, um, is one field. That's one life. And so that's the kingdom of heaven, the inside-outside one field of life. When you know that, you're knowing yourself. Knowing the kingdom of heaven is knowing oneself. Knowing the kingdom of heaven is also, or not knowing the kingdom, uh, where is where where is the sacred? <laughs> where is the sacred? Uh, it's everywhere, not simply in the sky or in the church or in your heart. It's everywhere. By that knowing, one knows oneself, and by that knowing oneself, one is known by God or by others. What What is being known? It, it sort of is um, becoming transparent, actually. Then, what else was understood is that you are children of the Living Father. That's Meyer. Or you're sons of the Living Father. So, was it sons? Was it children? Whatever. Um, this it, It's sometimes translated as sons, sometimes translated as children. In fact, it might be really children, not sons, but either is fine. So that's the relationship to Heavenly Father, meaning we are the progeny of um, God, the God source. You're all sons of God, of course. All beings are the son of God, of course. The question is, who has actualized that by commitment to love wisdom? Very few, obviously. And the alternative to knowing oneself, knowing the kingdom, being known, knowing source, knowing where we live and where we're from and who we are, the alternative to that is dwelling in poverty in which one is poverty. Dwelling in poverty equals being poverty. Those who uh, dwell in poverty are of poverty. <laughs> and that's called nations or not knowing oneself or ignorance know thyself is the path and the goal uh, not knowing oneself rejects the path and rejects the goal <laughs> that's called poverty and so uh, the hylic and the psychic the first and second categories of men or humanity the hylic meaning the materialist who really cares mainly about body and material acquisition the psychic who mainly cares about society, body, society, and social positioning, and um, strategizing, um, these dwell in poverty because they reject spirit. They, um, they love mana, they love matter. And um, it's fine. Uh, so dwelling in poverty, you are poverty. Where you live, you become what you, you become where you live. What you reject in this, you know, if you reject yourself, knowing yourself, knowing your source, knowing your destination, uh, that self-rejection is dwelling in poverty and being poverty. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Very so. So, again, there's not much difference between the um, the Nagamati Coptic and the Oxyrhynchus Greek in um, in in pretty much any of these fragments, but. We'll keep going back and forth between Meyer and Lambden and Oxyrhynchus until Oxyrhynchus peters out. Uh, saying four is also an Oxyrhynchus, 
um, which is, a person old in days will not hesitate to ask a child seven days old about his place in life, and he will live. For many of the first will be last, and many of the last will be first, and they will become one. And so Lambden wrote the Lambden translation of Nagamadi Coptic. The man, Jesus said, the man old in days will not hesitate to ask a small child seven days old about the place of life, and he will live. For many who are first will become last, and they will become one and the same. This is very interesting. That's different to say many who are first will become last, and they, be, and they will become one and the same. Um, different than saying they will become one. Um, Meyer wrote, <clears throat> Meyer translation, Yeshua said, A person old in days will not hesitate to ask a little child seven days old about the place of life, and the person will live. For many of the first will be last and become a single one. Now that's really quite different. So, uh, the man old in days, meaning the one who seeks and this this is a progression from the previous saying, right? The fragment three, uh, searching for the kingdom of heaven, knowing it, discovering it. I mean, th there's a progression here. You see, uh, if you understand these sayings, you won't die. Fragment one, fragment two. Uh, you ought to keep seeking till you find. When you find, you're going to get a bit of upset. But after you get upset, you'll be astonished at what you see. And then you'll have some kind of sovereignty over that which is, um, that, that which is um, created by source. Because you're understanding source coming to harmony with the source of creation. And uh, the kingdom, or what you're seeking, isn't outside you or inside you. It's everywhere. And then when you know that, um you are all know you are transparent to being known god knows you too and then you'll see that you're a child of of the one father or you'll see your lineage and you'll understand how you came to be and the alternative to that is poverty and so coming to know who one is and to know one's lineage uh can be um shown by the case of, a, of the wise man or the person who's aged seeking the youngest, um, the newborn, small child, seven days old, to, to seek um, the place of life. What is the place of life? In fact, they all translate that as to the place of life, the place in life or the place of life. What is place? Place is location. Life is the source of uh, manifestation or is the vital power uh, of all that exists. I mean, beingness is um, the awareness of life. Life experiences sentience. Life is sentient. But sentience is a quality of life. So life is prior to, the qual to its qualities. Life is um, all that exists. All that exists is the created life uh, of the creator which then has sentience and then you know has certain activity uh, 
So the place of life is uh, the location of the source of being. The location of the source of being um, <laughs> is, is uh, pre-creational, is um, the essential nature of, of all that exists, which is here, um, <laughs> you know, not separate from the existence, the activity and of phenomena. So there's the stuff of creation, nama rupa, right? Name and form, thoughts and form objects, self and other dimensions and this and that, right? Intelligent energy. Um, that is the phenomena of life. Um, the place of life or the nature of that life, its source or its um, true home, the home of life, obviously, is Heavenly Father, is the Creator. But that's not separate from phenomena, the life that manifests is phenomena. And that's why the Kingdom of Heaven is outside too. It's outside, inside. And that's the place of life. Or finding Heavenly Father, seeing, you know, um, uh, look around you, see the Creator. Look within you, see the Creator. Look at objects, see the Creator. Look at all beings, see the Creator. That's uh, akin to, to discovering the place of life. That's the place of the source, or the location of source, the location of essence, is in phenomena, obviously. Phenomena manifests its essence. And if you see it with the eye of the Gnostic, you'll see the, the essence of life here, in the apparent activity of uh, phenomena. Then, many of the first will become last, so this is a reversal of, uh, I believe, the human, human uh, order, the human order, where some are on top and some are on the bottom, this is the, the notion, the first shall be last, the last shall be first, uh, which is, um, you know, leads to the meek shall inherit the earth somewhat in, in the canonical gospel. Uh, but uh, it's hard to say exactly what this means, <laughs> because um, certainly there's the reversal of the ordinary... Um, sequence where the uh, the wise man knows much and the child of seven days knows nothing but actually this knowing nothing versus knowing a lot um, needs to be unified and that's you know harkens back to Heraclitus the upward downward path and um, source is our destination and um, there is the need to unify um, the that which uh, the, that which is uh, experienced at the beginning and that which is experienced at the end, or the end or culmination, um, complete gnosis, is a unification. Apparently at the end of, of a journey, with the nature of the source of the journey, that's the completion of the journey or gnosis, represents uh, a, what appears to be a final achievement that is in fact a unification with uh, the first stage, the first step, or it's the source of the journey. So the end is the beginning, or the end of the journey is a reunification with the, with the source or beginning of the journey. And that's akin to many who are first become last, or the becoming one and the same of first and last. The, what, what starts is where we end up and so that's, um, you know, the resolution of the 10,000 things back to the void.
leap into the boundless and make it your home, said Chongsu. The boundless um, is um, the, the, you know, heavenly creator or intelligent infinity um, source of all that appeared. And so the resolution of the path is the return to its source. And that is um, the becoming one of the first and the last. So there's that the 360 degrees is also called zero. And so that's ultimately Ein Sof, zero, 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 which Kabbalah understands. So saying five, starting with um, Meyer, Yeshua said, Know what is in front of your face, and what is hidden from you will be disclosed. There is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. Very nice and tight. Uh, Lambden said, Jesus said, Recognize what is in your sight, and that which is hidden from you will become plain to you. For there is nothing hidden which will not become manifest. Uh, and uh, Oxyrhynchus saying five goes, Jesus said, Know what is in front of your face, and what has been hidden from you will be revealed to you. For there is nothing hidden that will not be made clear, and nothing buried that will not be raised. And so that's, um, we, we're talking about seeing phenomena truly and knowing um, the apparent fully to reveal the hidden. Revealing the hidden by seeing into the obvious and the apparent. And um, whether it's, uh, you know, eschatological, eschatological meaning of end times or uh, salvific of the Gnostic awakening path, the same, you can say that the end times of 3D cycle on Earth is uh, akin to um, the revelation of self and God and reality that comes with Gnosis. There's the phrase, nothing that is hidden will not be made clear, or that which is hidden from you will become plain to you. And obviously, right now, on Earth, we're in the time of Apocalypse, which is revealing. What's being revealed is Armageddon, which is the final battle of good and evil, or final challenge, final conflict of service to self, service to other, or the way of love versus the way of control, um, in, in the collective drama of uh, human civilization on Earth, obviously. And so, um, it's apocalypsed for all to see, revealed for all to see. Um, and what's happening now is that more and more that had been hidden is becoming plain, or uh, that which had been buried is now being raised. And so that's resurrection. So apocalypse is a resurrection. Re you know, resurrection is apocalypse, or the revealing of the hidden is itself a raising of the buried. Yeah, all the same. And so, if you see what's in front of you, recognize what's in your sight. Um, if you see what you what you really the the life that's around you and within you, you know, look around you, see the Creator. Look in the mirror, see the Creator. 
Look at being, see the creator. That's recognizing what's in your sight, actually. That's knowing what's in front of your face. And um, that knowing what's in front of you, or knowing what appears, knowing, truly knowing the apparent, then you'll find the, the source of the apparent. Then you'll find the source. And then um, what had been hidden will become plain or become evident and you'll see. And then in time, both historically for humanity and individually on the path of uh, Gnosis, uh, all that had been hidden will become manifest. There's nothing hidden which will not become manifest, nothing hidden that will not be revealed, nothing buried that will not be raised. Um, that, that we see happening collectively, and that is um, resonant with the individual process of coming to Gnosis, uh, which is so very deep. <laughs> and so, but, but the way of revelation is to begin where you are and see into what is, what appears. To see the nature, to see true nature by seeing w deeply into what appears. Seeing, uh, uh, looking deeply into appearance, one will find essence and source then um, one will see that the physical and the metaphysical are inseparable. Hey, hey, that's just as Ross said. So, uh, saying six, starting with Oxyrhynchus. His disciples questioned him, meaning Yeshua, and said, quote, How should we fast, and how should we pray, and how should we do charitable deeds, and what food law should we observe? Jesus said, Do not lie about that which you hate. Do not do, because everything is evident before the truth. For there is nothing hidden that will not be made clear. Again, which is sort of saying, uh, Don't lie, because God sees it, the angels see it, higher self sees it, higher dimensional reality sees it, the law of karma sees it. <laughs> you can lie to yourself, bro, but you're not lying to the law of karma. The law of karma sees well, no matter if you lie and true, fool silly humans without wisdom. And so, uh, saying six from Meyer, his students asked him and said to him, Do you want us to fast? How should we pray? Should we give to charity? What diet should we observe? Yeshua said, Do not lie and do not do what you hate. All things are disclosed before heaven. There is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, nothing covered that will remain undisclosed. And so, again, the students are asking about um, behavior, right? About um, conduct, uh, performance, physical behavior performance, right? Rites and rituals, which is a fetter that is broken uh, at Sotapanna, meaning attachment to rites and rituals, or the view that um, behavioral performance uh, purifies mind. Not necessarily. <laughs> if the mind grasps greed and hate uh, while in the performance of proscribed ritual, rites and rituals done with a mind of hate and greed and ambition and superiority and vanity, <laughs> only uh, dig you in deeper to pain. So, 
it isn't the performance of uh, the the physical behaviors of rite and ritual that purifies the mind. It's the uh, state of mind and the uh, willingness uh, for the mind to be purified. But they ask him, what about fasting? What about prayer? How about charity? And how about diet? And Yeshua going to the essence saying, don't lie. So, right speech. Don't do what you hate. Which is really, um, don't, don't um, deceive by action. So don't lie is honesty, is honest speech. Don't do what you hate is sort of honest behavior or honest um, performance of activity. If you hate it, don't do it. And if you don't believe in it, don't do it. And so, um, don't do what you hate. And in fact, all the versions really say that. Don't do, don't lie, and and don't do what you hate. So, uh, don't engage in deceptive false speech. Don't engage in deceptive false behavior. Uh, doing things that you don't believe in. If you don't want to give charity, don't give. And if you give charity, it should be because you really want to. Don't do things that you don't truly uh, uh, believe in or feel commitment to. And so the right action done in the wrong way uh, ain't too good. Um, Buddha is saying uh, when the snake drinks water, it turns to poison. And the cow drinks water, it turns to milk. And so uh, don't be a snake drinking water turning into poison or um, a faker doing ritual or, or, or spiritual rules, regulations, performance insincerely. Um, why don't lie? Why, why shouldn't one lie and, and act falsely? Well, um, it's said here because or for or um, as it's true that all things are disclosed before heaven or everything is evident before the truth or nothing all things are plain in the sight of heaven so your mind is obvious to higher dimensional beings whether you like it or not believe it or not um, your mind is seen clearly by them and your mind and your activity uh, is clearly um, causative to uh, within the realm of karmic causality, karmic uh, law. So when you fake it, um, or when you fake, when you're deliberately deceiving by by word and deed, um, you're not getting away with anything. Actually, you're digging yourself deeper into dukkha and um, required um, painful karmic return. Nothing hidden will not become manifest, or as the world turns and as the soul evolves, all that had been hidden manifests. That's revelation. That's apocalypse. Nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing covered that remains undisclosed. And again, that's a collective planetary process. That's an individual spiritual path process. Uh, and that's, um, you know from the previous saying related to um, seeking and finding and becoming astonished at what one seeks and becoming troubled becoming troubled by finding when he finds he'll become troubled 
he's troubled partly because uh, all previous lies are being exposed <laughs> or that which is hidden because one had shame or it was too plain, too awful to look at you know sins of the world sins of the father the human matrix the illuminati the power structure the lies of uh, 2000 4000 years history the lies that are the basis of civilization as george carlin the philosopher said if honesty were suddenly introduced into american life the whole system would collapse you can say to some extent that's very very true um i dearly wish he will drain the swamp and i believe in him uh, but uh, donald but um humans have a hard time because they um they feed in the swamp hard to drain a swamp when you're feeding within it um if you don't feed in the kingdom of heaven you're feeding in the swamp actually so um jesus yeshua was basically saying instead of uh fasting you know they're asking him about fasting about prayer about charity and alms about diet and um, like mosaic code mosaic laws for diet and yeshua is basically saying don't lie <laughs> and don't um don't do what you don't believe in and that's shila not um observance of rites and rituals so basically just like in um, Buddhist understanding, Gautama didn't say um, you must, you know, the path requires fasting or certain type of prayer or certain type of charity or certain type of diet. Those things may be okay, but you got to figure it out yourself. Fasting and diet and prayer and charity, alms, all very helpful. The point is, though, that's not the, the foundation of the path. The foundation of the path is first. Um, honesty in speech and authenticity in behavior because um, you ain't getting away with anything and fakery is obvious to those who see and you're just simply going to have to deal with the the revelation of your fakery at some point so you might as well learn the positive path and be sincere and authentic and honest now Nothing covered will remain without being uncovered. And so uh, that's just the way it goes. <laughs> now we have fragment seven, saying seven, and the Oxyrhynchus version uh, is, is gone. <laughs> the Oxyrhynchus version basically is fragmented and only says, Blessed is. Uh, we'll start with the Meyer version. Yeshua said, Blessings on the lion if a human eats it, making the lion human. Foul is the human if a lion eats it, making the lion human. Now that sounds a little strange. Uh, Lambden translates it as Jesus said, Blessed is the lion which becomes man when consumed by man. Cursed is the man whom the lion consumes, and the lion becomes man. Mm -hmm. So in both cases, you've got sort of the lion becomes uh, human. But there are two ways that the lion becomes human. One is blessed and one is cursed, apparently. Uh, 
the lion gets blessing if the human eats it. And the lion is humanized if the human eats it. All you vegetarians won't like that, but it's hard to say what they really mean here. It's a obviously esoteric or coded statement. So the lion is blessed if the human eats it, and then in that way the lion becomes humanized. Versus the curse or fowl being the human who is eaten by a lion, and that way that the lion becomes human. So there are two ways to make the lion human. One is by the human eating the lion, the other one is the lion eating the human. So the the lion is blessed if the human eats it, and the human is cursed if the lion eats the human. <laughs> so if if it now what is the lion, right? Maybe uh right, we look at the tarot, there's a big card of the lion somewhere. I think that's strength eight. Uh that was the issue of strength and justice eight and eleven maybe. Uh, in many ways, that's yeah eleven. Thanks. So, lion. I mean, if it's card eight, eleven, there was some issue of card eight and eleven. You know, justice and strength. But if it's eight, we're talking about matrix of the body. If it's eleven, we're talking about what eight, nine, ten, eleven um, experience of the body. So. A uh, lion could certainly be an uh, um, an analogy for human body or sensual desires, sensuality, embodied flesh sensuality urges, sensual pleasure urges desires of corporeality and the flesh body. If the human eats it, it means if the Gnostic transmutes his um, sensual passions and sensuality or spiritualizes so the not the, the the human eating the lion is akin to the gnostic spiritualizing his sensuality that divinizes the sensuality or divinizes the body meaning spiritualizes embodiment and embodies spirituality but the human is cursed or foul if he, she, human, lets sensual desire, materiality, gluttony, you know, all the tendencies of body lusting, um, consume their mind, or be consumed, have soul, spirit consumed by sensual passions, or uh, body uh, desires of body and uh, society, right? So the lion is the king of beasts. So the desire to be the king and dominate all the others, right? The ruling tribe in the neighborhood or the king of the heap, uh, as well as a lustful, uh, you know, embodied, fleshy, desirous one. So desires of the physical and interpersonal social and political temporal rulership is very much uh, associated with lion, if that lion consumes the human, it's akin to those desires, basically of the hylic and the psychic, the materialist, the ambitious ones, sort of self, taking over mind and spirit, or consuming soul and spirit. And that um, is foul for the person. And I think that's one way to read saying seven. Uh, saying eight, starting with Lambdon. And he said, The man is like a wise fisherman 
who cast his net into the sea, and drew it up from the sea full of small fish. Among them the wise fisherman found a fine large fish. He threw all the small fish back into the sea, and chose the large fish without difficulty. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And, um, <laughs> you know, this, this is esoteric teaching. And so, if you have ears to hear, it means uh, wisdom to know. Ears, 5.5. Fifth chakra, f uh, fifth subplane on the face. Facial chakras, 5.5. Ears, distinguishing vibration. Sound, vibration complex, discerning. Um, sound, tonality, vibration, which is called wisdom. So if you have, if you seek wisdom and you have some wisdom, come to know, please. So what we're saying, um, the fisherman, uh, Meyer version, and he said, humankind is like a wise fisherman, um, and you can say the, the Gnostic or the Knower or Yeshua, Humankind is like a wise fisherman who cast his net into the sea and drew it up from the sea full of little fish. Among the fish he found a fine large fish. He threw all the little fish back into the sea and easily chose the large fish. Whoever has ears to hear should hear. And there's no Oxyrhynchus version. Oxyrhynchus, Oxyrhynchus comes back at saying 24. So if anybody can remember that. Somebody might want to write it down. So we'll come back to the Oxyrhynchus uh, correlations, um, 17 sayings from now. We leave it alone for now. Thanks. Uh, so now we're just going to be working between Land and, and Meyer. And that's fine. They're both pretty good. Uh, humankind is like a wise fisherman. The man is like a wise fisherman. The Gnostic is like a wise fisherman. Yesha was like a wise fisherman. You may be, we may be, one can be. How? Um, basically, taking what's uh, fine and large and letting go what's small and um, of lesser value. So we're talking about drawing from the sea, um, taking from experience, making choice. This is about choice. Spiritual choice, or uh, path-oriented choosing. Choosing what? Choosing what is greater versus what's lesser. Rejecting the lesser to take the greater. What's the greater? The greater is of greater gain, value. Here we're talking about fish, right? For sustenance, for nourishment, right? You eat fish to live. Yesha was called a fish uh, out of the sea of life, and so the the Piscia, Pisca, whatever. There's some uh, uh, some Greek word for fish, and obviously, you know, fish is a common symbol for the Christ or Christ principle or Jesus. Uh, Yeshua as the fisherman, and humanity as the fish, or gnosis, uh, or spiritual path, as the greater gain and value and nourishment and way of nourishment versus materiality, the way of the pneumaticoi, or those that seek spirit, and Gnostic, Gnosis, versus the hylics and the psychics, meaning those who are 
seeking at levels of body-mind only. And so we're talking about humanity as a wise fisherman, Yeshua as a wise fisherman, the spiritual student and seeker as a wise fisherman, seeking nourishment, seeking value, seeking that which sustains us on the path or sustains us in life. Um, finding a fine large fish and giving back, throwing back, giving away all the little fish, choosing what is of greater value. And that's the same thing with Ra also in their first session saying they came not nearly, not, not merely to give information but to provide a, um, what they felt was a proper weighting of information. Meaning, some information is simply more important than others because it has greater positive consequence on path. Right? The principles of healing and balance are basically more important than um, the ancient Sphinx mysteries of uh, 6,000 years ago and the fingerprints of the gods. The fingerprints of the gods will wash away in time and are simply um, <laughs> marks uh, I, marks of uh, temporary identity. But the one who, whose hand has the fingers and the, and the source from which the one with a hand has emerged is of far greater value for knowing and, and, and um, reflection. And so path-oriented teaching, such as the way of healing and balance, or the way of the adept, know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator, the way of the path, the, the teachings that are associated with uh, transformation that you will take with you, you can't take it with you, you can take, you will take mind with you, you will take the seven chakra, seven dimensional mind, body, spirit complex with you. You can take that with you. You won't, will, you, it is, you have to take it with you. <laughs> it's the you that goes on. But much else of uh, human life, um, all the material accumulation can't be taken with us. So uh, this is again just a counsel to um, focus on the development of that which you will take with you that which is um, beyond, that which uh, is developed in a lifetime that will, will be carried as we leave the lifetime, uh, choose the principle or find, you know, choose that which is of greater value and don't take nourishment on the, on the minor transient, take nourishment on the major essential, on that which is of essential value that is uh, our true nourishment, not the little fish. And so that's one superficial analysis of saying eight, but certainly spiritual path is not simply um, based in performance of, of some kind of activity, but certainly virtue, like Yeshua said, don't lie and don't do what you hate. Um, but there's this the aspect of spiritual path called wise wise choosing, wise selection, um, right decision. So there's right speech and right action. There's also something we could call right decision, which is um, choosing in general um, that which is of greater value, which is basically of greater nourishment, is of greater positive consequence on our path and, and our future, has greater benefit to us 
on into the future. So next time we're going to start with uh, saying nine, and we're going to go now back and forth between the Meyer version and the Lambdon version, uh, and work our way through the 114 sayings. Uh, <laughs> see, hard to say how much we can get. We might go 10 or so every week. Anyway, next time we'll start with saying nine. Um, thank you very much for being here. Thank you uh, for Thomas, uh, Yehuda, Toma, Didymus, uh, whoever you may be, and whoever put this together. It's very wonderful. Thanks for being here, and I appreciate the opportunity and um, your interest. And please take good care of yourselves. Um, see you next week, and good night.